Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, so good to see everybody here on our second wave of spring break. And um, so we're thankful again for just uh, having you all out. If you're not uh, able to um, be here one of these two weekends, we understand. Enjoy your family. Uh, we certainly want to pray for all those that are out and about traveling around uh, this week. We don't like them very much, but we're going to pray over them anyway. And um, so, uh, again, so so thankful. Believe it or not, we're talking a lot about Easter, and so Easter is right around the corner. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of service today. Um, but please be thinking now about inviting someone to join you Easter weekend. It's just a great opportunity to bring somebody and introduce them to your church friends and uh, get them plugged plugged in if they're not plugged in somewhere else. So just be thinking about that. Be sensitive to it, about, um, about how the Lord might lead you to uh, invite somebody to come. So... I want to hop into this this morning, and um, I just want to start by making a quick analogy, and that is that um, recently I was cleaning my uh, car out, and so um, I was vacuuming it out, and I've got an 11-year-old, and so when you stick her in the back seat, she's a crafter, and so she's always got to have a craft, and so typically when she gets out, my back seat um, is full of like yarn and um, drops of glue and toothpicks and uh, anything else that she might have chosen as part of her craft. And so I'm just kind of taking all that out and I'm vacuuming everything. And just about when I think I've got it the way I want it, um, I decided I better pull out the floor mats. And so I lift them up and there's this unique line of debris and pebbles and food that's just kind of outlining my, my floor mat. And as I started to think about that, um, I kind of applied that spiritually because that's what pastors do. And I started thinking about um, that's about how our spiritual lives can often look is that we, it's, it's not really the big stuff that, 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 that gets us. It's the stuff that falls into the cracks and crevices um, those small things, the inconspicuous things, the things that the naked eye don't often see, um, that often becomes the thing that trips us up the most. And so we've really got to be careful about um, the residue of our experiences and um, how they affect our lives and constantly keep that underneath the microscope of, of the Holy Spirit so that we can continue to grow in Christ and become more and more like him throughout our entire lifespan. I want to start in Ephesians chapter 6. And um, I'm going to be talking today about a character in the Bible that we've gone through uh, so many times in our, our lives that if you're not careful, you'll shut me off. Okay, so um, when I start talking about this, just stay with me, and hopefully at some point in this, we'll take a, a new angle on it, and you'll be able to draw some new truth from this story. But Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read verse 10 and 11 from the Living Bible just to start us. Your strength must come from the Lord's power within you. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand against the strategies and the tricks of Satan. I love the way this puts it out because it is a great reminder to all of us that Satan does indeed have a strategy, that there's a plan to come against you, me, our families, our church, 
the things of, of God, the truth of God, there is a strategy in place, a very well-thought-out strategy, and we have to be aware of it. And so just to prove this strategy exists, I want to talk about the character of Samson. And this story is a very short story. It only covers a few chapters in the book of Judges, and, and Samson was a, a, a great judge when he was on, but he was an awful judge when he was off. And so he had this bipolar experience with God. He was back and forth, back and forth, up and down, up and down, highs, lows, highs, lows. And, but he was an incredible, uh, uh, the, the story just captivates me no matter how many times I read it. And so if, if you're like me, you grew up in Sunday school, and we didn't have TVs with cool videos. We had like flannel graph, and it had these little paper characters and you'd like stick them up there. And Samson was always this, this muscle-bound guy. It looked like he'd been, you know, just mainlining muscle milk and drink, eating tuna every meal. And so he's just bulked up and big. He's got long hair. And he's got like a leather strap around his head. Somewhere between a, a visual image between Fabio and Dwayne Johnson. So it's like this, this little mix of Sam. You're like, oh, that's Samson. That's what Samson looked like. Um, Samson was nothing short of, of, of a comic book hero. I mean, this, this supernatural strength. And spiritually, though, he was very soft. And morally, he was a coward. It's almost like he couldn't stand up for anything. He was so fickle, he really just never had a stance. So he had this big old gift without any, any way of, of, of using it correctly. And we all know the story, and that, so that's not where I want to spend my time. But he had some early successes, and somewhere along the way, and you guys know this, the wheels fall completely off of, of his story. And so I want to look at just a few things in his life um, that we need to look at and just make sure, like those pebbles in my car, that we're keeping that stuff under the light of Christ so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. And so the first thing I want to talk about is the absence of, of abstinence. Samson had, an, had a complete absence when it came to abstaining. And we talked about this last week, just this big desire in us and all of us to have. And it's just the way that we are built innately. It's in us to want things. And so we experience our world, and we want something. And it's not just, just us, our culture. This has been something going on since the beginning of, of time. Adam and Eve have everything they wanted, but they couldn't have that one thing, and it's the one thing they fell for. We always want more. And so Samson is no different. He's this guy just wanting and wanting and wanting. And because of this big old gift on his life, he just has a lot, a lot of fame, and he's leading and interacting with people based upon fear and intimidation and popularity and the favor of God on his life. And because of that culmination, he gets what he wants. And I think his story is, is very clear eh, about it. And so when, he, when you have an absence of abstinence, you just encourage self-indulgence. And there's no doubt that the voice of our culture is conveying to us that we deserve it, that we owe it to ourselves, that 
we work hard, therefore we should just indulge. And so even good things, and I think we would all agree on this, even good things can become harmful to us. Food is, is a good thing. Too much food, not a good thing. Uh, sleep is a good thing. Too much sleep, not a good thing. Money is a good thing. Too much money spent incorrectly, not a good thing. Hobbies, good thing. Too much hobbies, not a good thing. Okay, So there's good things that can be harmful to us, and you have to have this balance of abstinence, of being able to abstain. Samson's weakness, as we all know, was women. And so he was popular among them, um, and he had a complete loss of control in their presence. He could not tell himself no. He was ruled by his desire rather than conviction. And in three quick chapters, he's with three different women that all played a very significant role in his life. He's continually running out on relationships, and he's scared to death to commit to anything. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. I don't know if you know anybody like that or grew up around anybody. You've struggled yourself with that where you just have a fear of committing to anything. You're, you're scared to death to commit to a person. You're scared to commit to a family, to a job, to God, and even to your own moral compass. You just don't want to commit, and it's become a real trap for you. So let's pick up here in Judges chapter 14, and let's, let's just, I'm, I'm going to give you just excerpts from these three or four chapters here. Judges 14 says, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, and I, I, I love this. Now get her for me. Okay, most, apparently it was the culture. Um, hey, saw a girl, you should go and fetch her. Okay, that's kind of how it comes across. And his father and mother say, wait, isn't there an acceptable woman among your own people? Must you go to the Philistines to get a wife? And Samson says to her, get her for me. She's the right one. Okay. Now, the King James Version says, she pleases me. The New International Version says, she looks good to me. The Message Bible says, half my heart is in Timna, Unana. I'm waiting on you. Yeah, okay. Here's Samson's first big mistake. Don't make decision on pleasure, make it on principle. If we don't have principle in our lives, we are driven and tossed. James often uh, describes this, or he, he does describe this as being unstable in all of our ways, double-mindedness, this, this inability to have something that is an anchor to me, a compass, a navigational beacon in my life. And when I'm driven by pleasure, I'm driven by what my eyes see, my mouth tastes, my ears hear. I'm, I'm, I'm entertained and drawn and attracted by senses. But pleasures are able to, or principle rather, is something that is established 
and is solid and consistent and predictable in our lives, and they uh, become those things that lead us and guide us and direct us. Without principle, principle, we fall toward a convenient thing. The pleasurable thing is not necessarily the right thing. The fact about Samson is this. His parents warned him. They were a voice of wisdom in his life, and they said, listen, we're not sure that you should do this. There's a gift in your life. There's a vow that you've made. We're just uncertain that this is what should happen. Okay, But when he sees this woman and pleasure becomes present, his principle goes out the door. He loses the conviction. I cannot tell you how many people that I have personally witnessed, and you have too, that have walked away from God over something they felt was pleasurable. It's a trap to us. But let's look what God says. He says this, Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just what kind of crop he sows. If he sows to please his own desire, he will be planting seeds of evil and surely reap a harvest, watch the way this is worded, of spiritual decay and death. Okay. Here's the thing about decay. It's not instantaneous. It's a process. We slowly stop being committed. We slowly start backing out of our relationship with God. We slowly lose the passion inside of us to worship, to serve, to see other people make a decision to follow Christ. We slowly stop being discipled. We slowly back away from relationships. We slowly back out of accountability. It's not something that's instantaneous. It's spiritual decay. And this is how people turn around and look at their lives and go, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? And they talk about a better place, and that better place was 10 years ago. How did I get here? How did my life get in this place? How did I start thinking this way? And how did my behavior become this? And, and how would I get myself into the position I'm in right now? Spiritual decay. It happens slowly over a moment after moment after moment of time. Here is Satan's lie to us. Okay, stay with me. Here's Satan's lie to us. It's just one area. What is that going to hurt? It's just one area. What is that going to hurt? We talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago when we talked about the authenticity of Scripture. And we talked about welcoming in that one thing that we wish was different in Scripture. That, man, we got, it's, it's like 99.99% of our life feels great, but, man, we got this one little thing that becomes a mountain to us. And we wish that we could just ignore it, that Scripture would welcome it, that we feel like God would honor it and be pleased with it. But we got to deal with it. We got to deal with that one thing. Don't succumb to the lie of the enemy that says it's just that one small thing in your life and it's not going to hurt you. 
To tell you what I'm, I mean by this, let me tell you a story. In my early 20s, I got in, into fishing. And my grandfather had a boat, and he ended up gifting it to me. He was in his 80s at that point, and it was dangerous for him to be in it by himself and standing up in it. It just, it just wasn't a good thing. So I think my father talked to him and kind of persuaded him to pass it on. He gave it to me, and I cleaned it up. I was really proud of it, and I worked on the trailer and got the lights working again and fixed it up really nice and and uh, loaded it down with my stuff, and one night I decided, it was, it was a small boat, and I'm not talking like an eight-foot boat, but it was small. I, I decided uh, I'm, I'm going to go out to Greer's Ferry in it. So I get this little boat out, and, and I, I knew where I had been before, and this, I, I knew where I was heading, and so I go out there, and I drop an anchor, and I put a light in the water, and I'm drawing my own minnows, and I get them out, and I put my light back in, and I start fishing, and I'm just we're reeling them in, and I look down, and my feet are wet, and I mean really wet, like my socks are wet, and I get my spotlight out, and I look, and I've, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I got a half a boat full of water. I start panicking. It's nighttime. I start panicking, and I'm looking around, and I realize that I had two plugs in the back, and they were both open. I didn't put the plugs in the boat. And so I immediately, I emptied my tackle box, and I just started using it as a bucket, and I'm shoveling, and I took my shirt off and stuffed it in a hole. <laughs> I'm just panicking like crazy, and it's starting to sink. And the point is this, one hole can sink a boat, okay? One small thing unchecked can bring something down. It's amazing, and you think about this, if you will give time to this, this, this afternoon, I want you to think about how small things in a physical realm can bring down something so big, and the same thing applies to us spiritually. One thing unchecked, this is why it's so important to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives on a daily basis and say, Lord, make sure that I'm going in the right direction. You have all of me. You have all of my heart, all of my mind. I want to think like you. I want to talk like you. I want to act like you. I want my heart to be surrounded by the presence of God because one small unchecked thing can sink a ship. Let me move on to... 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Strengthen yourselves with Christ's way of thinking. Live your lives controlled by God's will, not by human desire. The second big thing that was huge in Samson's life was unchecked bitterness. Unchecked bitterness. Bitterness could really be a series if we wanted it to be. I don't know if you've ever experienced bitterness in, in your life, but it's terrible. It's awful. It steals your time, your energy. It robs you of sleep. You give a lot of thought processes to things that you are bitter about. People can stay bitter for decades. You would think that they could not, that they would eventually move on, but it's not true. It's like people get a seed, and when they water it, and they take care of it, and they water it, and they feed it, it turns into an oak. And, and then it's, it's hard to deal with. It becomes part of who they, they are. And Samson had unchecked bitterness in his life. If you read these chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16 in Judges, you will see that out of all the characters in Scripture, he has the biggest chip on his shoulder. 
of the reactions that are recorded of him in Scripture, they're all violent. He's a very violent person. It's almost like he sits around because of the things that he did. He was creative with it. I mean, one time it says that he caught a bunch of foxes and tied their tails together and caught the tails on fire and then set them, set them loose in, in the Philistine camps, fields. Burned up all, all of their, 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 their crops. That's pretty creative. It took a lot of time to catch all those foxes. So he's very creative with it. And he sits around just thinking of ways. In one story, he kills 30 men because he lost a bet. 30 men. He gets so upset and he snatches the life out of 30 men. In another story, he rips the gate off the city just to laugh about it, just for spite. Okay, in Judges 15, it says, Samson says to them, this time I have a right to get even with them and I will really harm them. In verse 7, he says, since you've acted like this, I will not stop until I get my revenge. In verse 11, he says, I merely did what they did to me. Meaning his reasoning was this, they hurt me first. You hurt me, I hurt you. That's how, that's how Samson was hardwired. You mess with me, I mess with you. You hurt me, I hurt you. He just had this thread of bitterness running through his life. Job gives us some wisdom in this. Job chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, to worry yourself to death with resentment is a foolish and senseless thing. To constantly be in this state of resentment, of bitterness, to have it overtaking my life. He said, you're a fool to spend your time this way. Job 18 and, and verse 4. He says, you're only hurting yourself with anger. You're only hurting yourself when you act this way. Resentment is a waste. How so? Because you're never looking forward. You're always looking behind you. Recently, Gene and David and I went and heard Coach Chad Morris, and he, he made this statement. I just loved it. He said, there's a reason that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror because it's far more important what lies ahead than what's behind. In other words, he's saying, snap out of it. Get a hold of you, of, of your, your, yourself. Let it go. How long are you going to spend your energy? How long will you spend your youth? How long will you spend your mind's creativity thinking about a way to get back at someone? you got to let that stuff go. You can't have unchecked bitterness in your life. And it was a poison for Samson. It was running through him. And third and final, and then we're going to culminate this story to the end. He had casual commitment. Casual commitments. I remember this. As a boy, I was raised in church my whole life. Man, my mom had us at church. I mean, we had to be sick if we were not going to be in church. And um, sometimes I would just not want to go, and, and she just would not, would not do it. I remember one time, my, my dad, if he's not here, he's going to be at second service, and I'm going to remind him of this. But one Sunday morning, I was giving them fits, and they decided that they were going to mess with me. And so um, my dad started putting cans of biscuits in the bed. Anybody know what I'm talking okay, Yeah. They just, he just pulled back the covers and threw about four or five cold cans of biscuits in there, and he said, you're going to get up and go to church. 
And I said, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm staying home today. Next thing I know, my mother came in with a bucket of ice water and threw it on my bed all over me. And I s- sat straight up and I almost you know, said a word I shouldn't say, but then I know I'd really be going to church after that one. And so she was like, you're going to church. It's just this constant, but I was so casually committed and I remember going through my early teens like that, just casually committed. Man, I'd know a lot about Scripture, and I'd know a lot about church. And I knew I had a high church IQ. I knew what to do, when to do it, how church worked, what church looked like, what the language of church was. I just, I just got it because it was so in, involved in our, our lives. But I was casually committed. And this is exactly where Samson's life is. I mean, he's got this big old gift of God on him and this favor and, I mean, all this stuff, this spiritual thing going on for him, but he he doesn't know where to aim it. He's so casually committed by it. Here's a big truth. Samson's strength was, was tethered to his commitment with Christ, with God. Keep in mind, okay, this is going to mess up some of of y'all's thing. Keep in mind that Scripture not one time talks about his physique, other than he was handsome. But it doesn't say that he was ripped. It doesn't say that people looked at his muscles and said, how big are those biceps? It doesn't say anything about his physical physique being large. Here's why. This was not a physical strength. It was a spiritual gift. And when the Lord would come on him, he would get supernaturally strong. He didn't turn green, rip his shirt, and all that. No, it was just a supernatural strength that came on him. It was a spiritual gift from the vow that he had made with God. And this vow was was really different. It consisted of mainly three things. I'm going to whip through these really fast. He couldn't have any alcohol. He was to never drink in, in his life. No fermented drink. He was, he was on a special diet. He was only supposed to eat certain foods that were very different from what the rest of his people were allowed to eat. And third, he couldn't cut his hair. There was nothing about that except it was an outward sign that he had made a commitment to God. And people might have looked at him and said, why is your hair so long? And, and then it, he would be able to share. He'd be able to talk. It was, it was a symbol of the vow that he had made with God. But Samson toyed with this commitment. He tested it. His goal was, how close can I get to the line without crossing it? How close can I get to the line without losing it? And this is still very much a temptation that sometimes you and I fall into. We want to see, how close can I be like the world without falling off completely into it? How close can I be into this thing that's not really considered righteous, but what if I just butt right up against it? How close can I get to the line without falling over? And then we know that his most famous failure was his last one. Her name was Delilah. Judges chapter 16 and 15. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. She says to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and have not told me the secret of your strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death by it. Okay, 
she nagged him until he was tired to death, the Bible says. I am tired of your nagging. I'm tired of you asking. I'm tired of you talking to me about it. I'm tired of you quizzing me. I'm weary of it. I'm tired. And then he tells her, it's my hair. If you cut it, my vow is broken. All of my strength goes away. And this, is, this leads to a huge question as it applies to us. What voice are you listening to? All of us have significant voices in our lives, oftentimes our own voice. Is it louder than the voice of God in your life? What voice are you giving the most weight to? Because his voice that he was listening to, this nagging, became louder than his than, than, than the voice of God in his own heart. It became louder. It became, it became something that was restrictive to him and he was tired of he was weary of it. And finally he just blurts it out. I'm, I'm so tired of this. I'll just tell you if you'll just be quiet. And so in verse 20, then she calls, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and he says to himself, I will go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Oftentimes, pastors will preach this as being the saddest verse in Scripture. To have a man who thought to himself, I'm going to do exactly what I've done every other time, and I'm going to head out there, and I'm going to do what I do because I'm Samson. That's who I am. This gift is on me. It's mine. I own it. I possess it. I, I control it. He felt like he was the trigger man behind it. And so I'm going to do what Samson does, and he had no idea that God had left him. Spiritual decay. One step at a time. One inch at a time. He had backed away from God until he did not even realize that his gift was gone. That the spirit that was on his life in such a big way, a magnificent way, was gone. So what happened with Samson? Let's look at this, and then I'll end today. Judges 16, 21, they seized him. They gorged his eyes out, and they took him down to Gaza, binding him in shackles, and they set him to grinding in a prison. Right? Let me, let me bring one truth out of this. When you are derailed spiritually, one of the first things that will go is your vision. When you get derailed, one of the first things that's, that's going to stop for you is vision. Suddenly, the church is not important anymore. Suddenly, your relationship with God is not important anymore. Suddenly, people making decisions to follow Christ, the kingdom, capital K, is no longer important anymore. We've lost vision. Your role in that kingdom you just lose it. And suddenly your life becomes 100% and completely about you and you alone. And you become self-absorbed because there's no longer vision. There's only what you can feel 
in your own life. You've lost vision. And this is why many people, I know this may be heavy this morning, but this is why many people can come to church and out of obligation and sit and go through worship service and go through word, go through prayer time, see people that they're supposed to be in community with and walk out and be the exact same person because they've lost vision. They're derailed spiritually. But this is how this story ends, okay? Stay with me. Give me two minutes. This story ends with an early shadow of grace, all right? And I want to stop and say this to some people this morning. You may think that God is finished with you, but he is not. And you may think that he is disgusted by where you find yourself this morning, but he is not. And so we see this great shadow of grace. And one day the Bible says Samson is working, he's grinding, and in my mind's theater it plays out this way. The wind may blow, you know, he's blind as as he can be, they've got him in shackles, but maybe a gust of wind came through and he felt something tickle his forehead and he reaches up and grabs his forehead to, to scratch it and he feels he's got a he's got a head full of hair and suddenly it's symbolic of how the Lord is revisiting and restoring and forgiving and bringing it all back and making it full circle and that every promise that he made to Samson was yes and amen, that he's not done. He's, it's this beautiful story that's still very applicable to you and I. And so you may think you are derailed and completely done, but God's in the process of restoring you. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8, this is the ESV. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Watch this. Which he lavished upon us. I can read Ephesians many, many times and I keep coming back to this word lavish because it's, it's rarely, rarely used. Let me tell you what the definition of lavish is. To bestow in extravagant quantity, way beyond what was ever necessary. Man, I got to read that again. To bestow in extravagant quantity, way beyond what was necessary. He said, This is what Christ has done to us when he gave us his grace and he lavishly put it on us. It wasn't just enough grace. It was way past that. It wasn't just enough to get us by, to get us through, to make us feel better, to make us cry, to console us. No, it was extravagant grace. And this becomes so hard for a lot of us because we feel if we've been derailed and we're blind and we've, we've given up to the vices of our lives and we look at ourselves this morning and we go, I really don't like who I am right now. Here's some great news for you. And I believe this is a biblical principle, but Jesus bought your story. He owns it. The good 
the bad and the ugly of your story, he bought it with his life. And you have no need to be ashamed because he has turned your bad and your ugly into a testimony of his goodness by lavishly putting grace upon your life. This is how a bunch of broken people can come together in a room like we are this morning and lift our hands unashamed because of grace on our lives. And some of you really need to be reminded of that this morning. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me quickly this morning. I want to pray.